I'm always a little sad when a series that I've uh, been working with you in uh, is coming to an end, and that's what we're doing this weekend. Uh, the series is called This I Believe, and I'll just share with you that uh, earlier in the spring when I was trying to figure out what, what should I teach, I just pray and pray, Lord, what do we need? And uh, the Lord was leading me to do uh, something related to our doctrinal statement. And so um, I, I said to Pastor Ann, uh, actually wife Ann, if you didn't know, we are married. Um, but I, I said to her, I said, I'm thinking about doing a series uh, on our doctrinal statement. And she said, that sounds boring to me. <laughs> you know, every preacher needs someone that'll be just straight out honest. And so um, I began to frame this a little bit differently. Instead of saying this doctrine, that doctrine, I framed uh, the series, as you know, uh, if you've been with us, in terms of what I call the big questions uh, in life. And, uh, to, and each of our doctrinal statements answers a huge question, a big question. And so we started with the question, who is God? And the Bible never asks the question, is there a God? Uh, because the Bible would say, just look around. Look, look around, look at all creation. Come back when you figure it out and we'll get to know one another. And so the Bible begins to answer and reveal who is God. And then we, we answered the question, uh, how do we know? How do we know anything? And we answered the, about the, the authority and the reliability of scripture that we can stand on the word of God, that we have a Bible, we have God's word, how powerful that is. Uh, how, how do we know these, these huge answers? Then we talked about uh, a question that doesn't occur immediately out in the culture, but it's how bad is it? In other words, how messed up are we? We all know that we're messed up, but we might think I'm not as messed up as other people. So how messed up am I? And how messed up is our world and our culture and humanity? And we, the scripture reveals to us really messed up. I mean, so messed up that we cannot possibly fix ourselves. And then we ask the question, well, what is the answer? If we're so messed up, what is the answer? And the answer is Jesus. Say that with me. Jesus. And Jesus is the one who, who saves us and heals us and fixes us. Hallelujah. And, and that's what our scripture brings to us. An amazing truth. And then we ask the question, who's got the power? You've got the power. Because of Holy Spirit. How do you live this? How do you live out this uh, life that is put before us? And we live out this life uh, because of Holy Spirit and our connection. And then where do I connect? And, and Jesus gave us this marvelous thing, the body of Christ, the church. And I know many times people bash the church. Be careful. The church is his bride. And so we need to know that. And church is where we connect. Church is where we connect with people. We need relationship with people, relationship with God. We come together to worship and to enter into the word of God. You're doing it right now. Thank you for coming to church. Now, be aware, you could sit in, in a room with people and not be connected. So we need to connect. There's some effort that goes into that. And then we asked last weekend, how then shall we live? What, how do we live a Christian life? What does it look like? We talked about the process of sanctification, uh, about how if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Uh, the old has passed away. The new has come. And we are in that process of taking hold of the new. 
This weekend, we're going to ask a very simple question, and it's a question, what's next? And, and it's, it's a question that's on the eyes and the hearts of many, many people. I mean, what is going on in our world? What is going to happen next? And when we think about Scripture, when we think about the Bible, uh, we're going to be thinking about the end of the age and our response. We studied through the book of Revelation, so we actually have detailed a lot of it. But Jesus actually uh, talked about this, and, and we want to look first at Acts chapter 1, beginning verse 6. You'll find that on page 909 in the edition of the Bible that's out there. If you do not own a Bible, please change that today. Take one of those Bibles home with you, put your name in it, begin to study and read it. So this is after that period of time, 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus had been teaching, he'd been appearing, he appeared to so many people that no one really questioned the resurrection. Uh, in, in that day, because he, he had appeared to so many people, even historians just, they said, well, he was raised from the dead. And so uh, after some teaching about the, the kingdom of God, uh, he appeared one last time. And there's a big event that came with that. And that's what we're looking at today. Acts chapter 1, beginning verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him up out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, men of Galilee, <laughs> why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now let's stand and let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of your word. But God, we especially thank you for moments like these, these incredible moments seen and witnessed by, by the people at the very beginning of our faith uh, who then recorded that witness for us. And God, we thank you that we get to, at least in our minds, see this incredible thing that happened and envision what you have in mind for the future. God, we pray that you will impact us individually in exactly the ways that you desire that we would not leave without hearing, without being changed in the way you want to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. And be seated. So the question on the hearts of those disciples who were gathered on that day in Jerusalem was, what's next? <laughs> what's going to happen? And they had some ideas. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> is this it? This is so cool. I mean, think about it. Jesus had been uh, crucified, put into a tomb, and God rattled the whole town <laughs> and brought him out. Isn't that amazing? And he had appeared to all these different people. That's power. 
And, and the scripture later says the same power rests with us today. What power that was. And they realized, you know, th- this could be it. We could take those Romans with that kind of power. And, and that may be a, a, what they had in mind. Are you now going to lead a revolt against the Romans? Are we going to finally be free from all this oppression? Or maybe it's something bigger than that. The, the consummation of the kingdom kingdom. And so uh, the answer comes back. Um, we don't get to know when. You're real quiet. <laughs> because we'd like to know when, wouldn't we? But we don't get to know when. They didn't get to know when. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. Jesus said this a number of times. There are some things you don't get to know. This is one of them. How many of you got a few questions when you get to heaven? Okay, good. And this would be one of them. One of the things we don't know is the when. And the Bible doesn't tell us when, but the Bible tells us a whole lot about the what. A lot. There's a lot. And in fact, in this passage of Scripture, we get to learn about some of the what the end is going to look like. But Jesus says, well, first things first, before we get to any of that, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've studied that before. Jerusalem was where they were right now. And Judea was like the county or the, you know, we might say the state. You know, it's the region that they were in. Samaria is the people who hated them and they hated the Samaritans to the north and then to the ends of the earth. So you're going to be my witnesses in all those places right here at home and in the larger region and among your enemies, you will be my witnesses. Don't want to run past that one and to the end of the earth. And that's, that's the accomplishment that Jesus wants to see happening first. There, there's a lot more to happen before this end happens. And so we, we don't want to miss that. First things first. Then the Lord uh, gave us this picture, this amazing moment of the what, what it's going to look like. Can you imagine when he had said these things as they were looking on, they were staring at him and he was lifted up. I mean, it's like something out of some cool movie. He's levitating. I mean, it's cooler than a movie. He's lifted up and a cloud takes him up out of their sight. And they're just like this. I imagine their mouths had to be open. They're just They can't believe what they saw. They aren't even talking to one another. Did you see that? No, I know you saw that. You're right here and I saw that. And they're staring into heaven. And God's got to get their attention. Uh, You can't stand here for the rest of your life staring into heaven, can you? You can't be all heavenly minded. There's some work to be done here. So the Lord sent these two men all dressed in white, these angels. And they basically go, guys, guys, come look down. Angel? Usually that's a big deal. (laughs) But after what they had seen, I I mean, uh, it took some getting of attention. Uh, And so they they, they begin to to listen to these guys and and their gaze is brought back to earth. You know, I I was thinking about this, studying it, and I thought, I have a little list of things. If if you said, you you could time travel back to five places in the Bible, this would be one of them. Transfiguration would be one. Parting of the Red Sea is right up there. Resurrection. I mean, do you have a list? You should. Not that you're going to do time travel, but it's kind of a, an interesting thought. So, so their, their eyes come back to earth and, and they say, men of Galilee, why are you looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's the most marvelous visual picture for us to know what the future is going to look like in the same way as he went in that same way he's going to come back. So we're reassured God does have a plan for the future and he is coming back. And you just saw what, at least part of what it's going to look like. There's going to be some other things going on. So the Bible actually tells us a good deal about the what of the future when we think of what's next. We just don't know when. You know, a lot of people have wondered and dreamed and imagined what the future of humanity might be like. I mean, people do it all the time and they get all engaged in it. What is the future going to be like? I was thinking about it this week, how uh, in many ways science fiction is about the future. Do some of you love science fiction? Nobody. I should just leave this part out. Okay, a few of you love science fiction. Okay, science fiction is basically, it's fictional ideas based on science and technology. What might happen with science and technology in the future uh, and what that might look like. And, you know, one of my favorites has always been Star Trek. And Star Trek is, uh, how many of you love Star Trek? You're Star Trek people. Okay, good. I knew some of you loved. <laughs> yes. So Star Trek is amazing because based on technology and science, it, it casts for us a vision of a utopian future. You know, they never, they never deal with paychecks and bills and stuff like that. If you want some food, you have this gadget that just creates it for you. Just technology has solved everything. And not everything because there's some conflicts in the, in the star system and things like that. Uh, but there's this uh, big utopian picture. And I began to think about it, how it, it, it is, however, a, a future that has no religion at all in it. Or if there is religion, it's a religion that's in a primitive culture. I, I didn't even think about it until this week, but there's a lot of different positions on the ship, but there's no ship's chaplain. Excuse me? <laughs> Could I be the ship's chaplain? They don't have a need for that. Because basically, it's a godless utopia. I even called one of our experts, Nate Garrett, because he studies all this. He thinks about this stuff all the time. And he said, yeah. And he told me something I never knew. I'm not trying to, uh, I know some of you are big, big fans. Characters are great. The stories are wonderful. But uh, Gene Roddenberry was an atheist. He had no place for God in his utopian future. Technology and science is going to solve it all. And so that, that's, that's the cast for the future. Now, many of you know Star Wars is a good bit different. How many of you are Star Wars fans? Okay, we'll arm wrestle down at the front at the end of the service, okay. The Star Wars um, it is very different because first of all, it's not in the future, it's a long time ago, far away. Um, but it, it, it casts this vision of a time in which there is spiritual warfare going on but, and, and they talk about it as George Lucas cast it as the force and the dark side of the force. There's this struggle that's going on. Boy, you see it. And there are these sort of priests of the religion uh, who are the Jedis and the mas Jedi masters and things like that. So it's really fascinating how very different that is because it has a spiritual dimension to it. Now, there are others who think about the future. There are political and economic futurists. I put up a few pictures, not to endorse any, but these are the current billionaires and super billionaires who, who are trying to fig, 
tell us how the future should be shaped, how they want to shape the future. And, and, and I'm not cheering for or putting down any of these, but these are the folks that are thinking about what your world is going to be like because they have the money to do that, I guess. There are also uh, political futurists who think about how, how could we redesign government so that government would solve all these problems. If we just get the right government and we just get all that, that, all of our problems will be settled. There's this one problem, and it goes back to that thing of our human condition. There's selfishness. There's not a single government ever in the history of humanity, no matter how well designed, that was not corrupted in some way at some point by human selfishness and sin. There's this bigger problem to be dealt with. And so the truth is that the only biblical future view is the one that is in God's plan. And that's what we need to look at and we need to study. It starts with this truth that we are broken and if we're broken, we need a savior. Studied that a few weeks ago. We, we learned that while we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, we're broken. And so we need healing. We need salvation. And here's the big truth. No amount of science or technology can fix that. It can't fix the brokenness that's in us. And no amount of political theory or governmental design can save us from ourselves. Our theme at summer camp this week, um, I love it. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 2.5. And uh, I love this statement. For God intended that your faith not be established on man's wisdom. Fill in the blank. A man's wisdom, technology, science, political movements, uh, economic changes. But by trusting in his almighty power. That's our only answer, friends. It's our only answer. We desperately need a savior. Why don't we read that out loud together? Uh, because that's our, our theme verse for summer camp this week. Ready? For God intended that your faith not be established on man's wisdom, but by trusting in his almighty power. You see, the Bible teaches that God's gospel is going to be brought to a fulfillment by the Lord himself at the end of the age. That's what the Bible teaches. And, and this is fundamentally an evangelical belief that we have good news to share. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm bothered from time to time when I see the word evangelical tossed around in our world. I mean, I, I, I had a friend who wrote on their Facebook page something about, I just hate evangelicals. And so I wrote to them privately and I said, I've always known you to be a Christian, right? Right. Um, and you believe in Jesus as the Savior? Yes. You've trusted Jesus as a Savior? Yes. And you believe that that's good news to share? Yes. You are an evangelical. Yeah. Because the word evangel, all it means, evangel just means good news. That's what it means. And so I'll tell you what I hate is that the word evangelical has become identified like some kind of political party or something. And, and to batter and to, and to toss about and to, to divide people. Because that's not what it is. To be evangelical means you believe in the good news. That simple. Now God's gospel... His evangel has a past and a present and a future. So we're looking at the future today. But I want us to, to consider uh, first the past. God's gospel is an accomplished fact in the past. We talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago. 
in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has acted to save us. And he he has acted to offer you salvation. All you can do with that is receive it or, or reject it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's by grace. And through his sacrificial death, uh, Christ has taken our sins away. We've been justified by grace and we're no longer subject to the penalty of sin. It's the best news. That, that we don't have to be separated from God and separated from one another and all messed up inside. He's offered to us this amazing healing. In the present, the gospel is applied to our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what we talked about, about being sanctified justified and then we are sanctified and through through our new birth uh, the spirit unites us with christ and with this community called church that you're you're sitting in and and he empowers us to live in a new way uh, and we are progressively sanctified uh, from from the power of sin we will be free ultimately completely from the power of sin And, and we talked about all of that last weekend This weekend, we're talking about the future. God's gospel also has a future. Uh, Jesus was raised from the dead, and he is, the Bible says, the first fruit of what will come. His resurrection is a picture of what's going to happen to you uh, and to your loved ones. If we die in this life, we're going to be raised, resurrected. It's this amazing thing. This resurrection body is really cool. It's an amazing um, idea that God thought of (laughs) Christ has been seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, Now, that's not recognized in our world. We still live in a fallen world, and there's sin, and there's evil. But the gospel declares that we will be saved, ultimately, by God's power when we are delivered from even any presence of sin. Hallelujah. Amen? Yeah. And that's the promise of the Bible. The Bible promises us that God's gospel, his great, what is that? His gracious purpose to redeem a people for himself in Jesus will be fulfilled. He's going to fulfill that and complete that by the Lord himself at the end of the age when Christ returns. Now, this is not an optional teaching in the Bible. You know, I remember when I was a young Christian and I started to hear about Christ coming back and everything changing. I remember thinking, I don't know that I'm so comfortable with that. It wasn't really great news to me because I thought I've got a lot of things I still want to do. Anybody felt that before? Yeah. And so, but it is the very best news. First Thessalonians 4 says, For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left at the time until the coming of the Lord. So there will be some that will be left and, and will still be alive when he comes. Will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with a sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. I mean, you hear about this uh, described sometimes. Tombs will break open. Things like that. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. And that's where we get the word rapture, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. That's the goal. We will always be. How many believe that's a good thing? Yeah. And and this is not something that we should fear. Sometimes people say, well, I'm kind of afraid of that. Don't be afraid. Our citizenship is in heaven, the scripture says. Uh, We await a savior. Titus 2 says, we wait for our blessed hope. That's a marvelous phrase. Blessed hope. The appearing of the glory 
of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We're going to have a resurrection body. How many of you think that's pretty cool? Yeah. Does that mean we don't have to work out? I think you work out, but just for fun. It's just for fun, you know? Um, But but we're going to have a a body that's like his uh, because we shall see him as he is. So what does the Bible teach us about this return? I want to give you just four things really quick. The Bible teaches a personal return of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself will descend. And Acts 11, uh, Acts 111 that we just read, this same Jesus will come back. It's personal, okay? This is a bodily return. As he, ascend, as he ascended in the same way, in his glorified resurrection body, he will return in that same body. So it's a bodily return. And we will see him and we'll become like him in a bodily existence. It's fit for the, the new heaven. Um, and then the third is that his return will be glorious. He will come in the same way that he ascended. And, and that was very glorious. I mean, they just couldn't even hardly describe it. Uh, Matthew 24 says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of of heaven to the other. Now, we often get tangled up because we try to figure out, well, how does that fit with the other things that we read in Revelation? And we get all caught up with big words like, well, is it a premillennial return or is it a postmillennial return? Or maybe an amillennial return. Is it pre-tribulation or post-tribulation? You ever get in those arguments? You try to stay clear? That's a good idea. Uh, but because the, those are not things that are essential to salvation anyway. How many of you know that when it's all done, we'll know? Yeah. Premillennial, postmillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, all of that stuff. So why would we divide on that? And churches have divided and said, well, you can't be a part of our church unless you believe this view on, on the return of Jesus. And that is not an essential thing for salvation. What we need to know is that there's this amazing offer of grace that we receive by faith. And that's what we need to know first and foremost. And so we try to, uh, we call it major on the majors and minor on the minors. We can talk about those things. We can do a study on those and draw charts and things like that. But that's not going to be our focus. The fourth thing is that the Bible is clear that Christ's return may happen at any time. And we find it in a number of places. Jesus said, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. You do not know. Jesus said that. First Thessalonians. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake, be alert, be sober. Luke 12. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour, at a time you do not expect. I've said this before, but it is so very true. I may not finish this sentence, comma, before he returns. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he didn't come that. Okay. 
but he could have and he can come at any time. And so what is the lesson of that? Not to be afraid. The lesson of that is be ready every day. Are there things in my life? Are there people I need to talk to? Is there forgiveness to be sought? Is there someone I need to forgive? Uh, are there things I need to clear up? Is there, is there something that I should have, have extended or, or, or given uh, to someone in my life? Uh, are there things that, that I need to wrap up? Not, not so that I can earn that, but so that I'm, I feel ready. Is there someone I need to share Jesus with? Because, oh yeah, I don't think they know Jesus. So we need to take hold of that. The future of history is one thing, but what about our personal future? All this talks about kind of the big stuff and the, the church and, and all, the, all the consummation of things, all right? But we need to think personally about this. If we're not here for the return of Jesus... Uh, believers, the scripture says, will we'll be with him at that time. We'll be raptured out of here. But if we're not here, and these bodies, how many of you know they wear out? They do. And, and I, I believe in uh, doing the very best uh, to preserve our bodies and to pray, and I believe in healing. But we don't know of anyone who has lived forever in their mortal body. You know, a lot of people that have lived forever uh, in their spirit and in eternity, but, but our mortal bodies eventually wear out. And so we need to be ready for whatever happens. John 14, Jesus said, don't let this trouble you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Someone say hallelujah. That is good news. And he says, and you know the way to where I am going. And I love it because Thomas pipes up and he says, Lord... (laughs) We don't have a clue where you're going. How could we possibly know the way? I love Thomas. We call him Downing Thomas. I just call him Honest Thomas. He asks the question that everybody's thinking and nobody will say. He says, we don't know where you're going. Uh, So how can we know the way? And Jesus said, you do know the way because you know me. I am the way. I'm the way. And you know me. I am the truth. And you know me and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's afterlife. And that's what the scripture teaches. I I was studying for this and and I found a recent Pew survey, National Survey uh, of Americans, revealed the various views about about what happens when we die. And I I was kind of impressed that 73% of Americans believe in heaven. They believe in heaven. It's kind of a good thing to believe in. And it might be because there are so many books uh, uh, from people written by people who went and came back. And they say, yeah, I was there. And and so they they carry that belief. 62% believe in hell. That's actually a lot if you think about it. I was reading another study, just a kind of aside, and it kind of confirms this in, in one sense. 
And the study said that 26.4% of drivers admit to telling other drivers to go to that place while frustrated in traffic. It really, it's a real study. And it showed the, the worst city for that. I won't tell you what it was. 7% do not believe in heaven or hell, but believe in some sort of afterlife, such as joining the energy of the universe or reincarnation. Those are not biblical thoughts, but people kind of catch on to that sort of stuff. Sometimes I look at my dog and I think, you got a good life. <laughs> I could come back and be you. <laughs> be well taken care of. Only 17% do not believe in any afterlife. And then kind of you just disappear into oblivion. When you're done, you're done. Most Americans, and if you think about it, then are approachable with good news uh, because they already believe in heaven and they already believe in hell and they would like to know something more about that and how that works. The Bible reveals this future plan of God, our creator. And responding to the gospel of Jesus is our only hope. The, the only one that is revealed to us. Is, people ask, is, is there some other way? And some will say, there might be, but I don't know what it is. I would say that the scripture is where we need to turn. And the only hope that we have is the one found in scripture. If you ask 100 people, you know, what's your favorite uh, scripture verse? Even if they're not faith people, they'll say John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. Why don't we read it out loud together? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Perish, eternal life. Believe in him. It's all the good news is right there. The good news of God is in Jesus, came to us in Jesus. And the good news is revealed in the life of Jesus and accomplished by his work. So we are called to respond in faith trusting Jesus alone for our salvation. Uh, we call part of that, we call repentance. We've talked about that a lot. Repentance is when we turn from our own way. It might not even be horrible things or things we think are horrible, but we say, I'm turning toward God. I'm going to turn toward God and do things God's way. And then we align ourselves with God's word. And then we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's the faith process. Truth is, we have an eternal destiny. We are eternal creatures. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe, does not obey the Son, shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. This gets hard. John 5, truly, truly I say to you, if Jesus says truly twice, you better listen. Amen? Truly, truly I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does, uh, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So the Bible actually describes an eternal separation, a judgment that happens at a certain point. Jesus described this in Matthew 25. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about himself. It's his favorite term for himself. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him, he will, will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. It's a moment of judgment. 
And here's the thing, you know, sometimes people are tempted to say, well, I don't like that part. We don't really get that choice. We don't. Because if you're going to take all the lovely, cool things about loving our neighbor as ourself and, and all the wonderful things that we find in, in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Gospels, all these beautiful things, we need to listen to the hard parts as well. Amen? The Bible describes heaven as a place of eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord. But the Bible also describes this eternal separation from God in the worst of terms. We could do a whole study. Um, we don't need to. Why would, we, why would we go that direction? There will be a day of judgment, but our only hope is in trusting the work of Jesus. Now, whenever I do a study like this, it could be in a smaller group or a larger group, uh, people begin to say, okay, pastor, but what about, you know, the whatabouts? Because there's what about this and what about that? And so these are things that always come up. What about those who were in the womb when they died? The Bible says that they are people. The Bible says that, that the Lord is knitting that person together and knows the plan for their life. What about them? They never had a chance to receive Jesus. What about them? Are they condemned to hell? And it's of concern to many of us. A lot of you folks know our family. And, and if we introduce ourselves, we, we say we have three grown children. But what you don't know is that we actually have four children. We have one who lives in heaven. Our first child lives in heaven. Many of you have children who live in heaven. What about that? What about those who were infants or unable to understand and they died and they never had a chance to make a commitment? These, these are the pretty significant whatabouts. What about those in faraway places? They weren't born into a place where they could hear the gospel. They never heard the gospel. What about them? We get way caught up in the whatabouts, can't we? And what I would suggest to you is that we can trust God with all the whatabouts. We can trust God because he's full of mercy and grace and truth. And he's always just. And God has that well in hand. And he's better at that than you or me in a discussion group. How many of you know that? He, he's bigger than me. <laughs> But there's one more, and it's the most important what about, and it's what about you? What about me? Because ultimately, the only one who can make decisions about me is me. You know, people sometimes say, do you think that person is saved? How would I know? The only person I'm really, really sure is saved is Pastor Ann. <laughs> I've lived with her a long time. I'm sure about a lot of other people. I feel sure about a lot of other people. But ultimately, it's a decision. And there have been people that I thought were saved. I thought had it all together. And then they did things. And I don't mean to judge. I can't judge. But they don't have the appearance of walking with God at all. So it's what about you and what about me? Uh, have we made those commitments? Have you made the turn away from yourself I'm going to do it my own way and turn to say, I'm going to do it God's way. Have you aligned the trajectory of your life with scripture? And we should pray about that. So let's pray. 
It may be while we have been studying this that you realized at a certain point that you really never had affirmed that you really believed God and his scripture about who he is and how much he loves you, how much he's given for you, and also how lost you are. Maybe that you never realized the great sacrifice of Jesus in a personal way for you. Maybe that you never realized that he desires to spend eternity with you, not away from you. And that's the message of the scripture. And so what about you? You can, you can respond to the Lord and these truths by saying, Lord, I get it. I get it. You... You came and, and, and you died for me and you covered my sin and, and you've come to make me born again and I receive that. I want you to make me into the new creation that the old would pass away and the new has come. And if you pray a prayer, something like that in your heart, you begin this journey of salvation to become more and more like Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are so very patient with us. But we know there is a time in your mind, in your heart, when things come to a conclusion, and we don't want to miss that. So speak to us, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now each week, I've been having us recite uh, a portion of our statement of faith. I'm not gonna do that uh, this weekend, but what I wanna do is read for you what I just taught you. Because some of it is difficult, but I want you to hear it once again as we consider what the Bible teaches uh, that Christ followers believe. We believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and, as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. We believe that God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment and the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth to, to the praise of his glorious grace. And everyone said, amen. Now, you might be wondering, now what's next, Pastor Jeff? So after summer camp, uh, I'm going to begin a new series, a summer series. Uh, and it will begin June 17th and 18th, and I'm calling it Walking with Pete. We're gonna be studying Peter, uh, one of the two pillars, Peter and Paul are the pillars of the earliest church. We're going to study Peter. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about Peter and who he was and who he is. Uh, but we're going to study him and we're going to study through the lens of his only writing, which is First Peter and then, of course, Second Peter. He never wrote a gospel, but we have a lot that comes out. He's, he's been written about and we will walk with Pete uh, during this summer uh, time. I always design this series to be something where you can be out of town and come back and you'll be fine because you get right back in step with where we are. We'll be studying through First Peter. Let us go in the name of Jesus. Let us go in the name of the gospel of Jesus to carry the good news everywhere we go in Jesus' name. Amen.
And please give somebody a holy hug.